You are listening to episode 244 of Game Deflators Podcast. My name's John, and I'm joined by Ryan. Hey, everybody here at the Game Deflators Podcast. We like to talk about games. We've recently picked up games we're currently playing, and we make it up in the back nine in this week's Inflation Deflation Challenge. So this week we played a little bit of Mario Golf Advance Tour on the Game Boy Advance. Hell yeah, yeah. Uh, I had fun with this one. Um, yeah, yeah, this uh, was I'm excited. Good. Yeah, I, I had a good time with this one for sure, and we'll uh, we'll dive into it in the inflation deflation segment. Uh, but first, you can find us on thegamedeflators.com, our up to date website. You can find us on social media at Game Deflators on Twitter at the Game Deflators on Instagram and Facebook. And of course, you can find us on the podcast app you're listening to right now, as well as YouTube. Leave us yeah. a five star review. Yeah. Comments. Let us know. Tell us, tell us what you think, people. Currently picking up and playing. Current pickups, recent pickups. <laughs> magic cards. That that's what I got this week. I got magic cards. Uh so I've been in a little bit of a kick on that, kind of playing Magic the Gathering Arena. Um, so that'll be my currently playing. Um, but playing magic and uh, i played my first tournament yesterday since september like official like standard tournament and uh i got second place so that was fun your burn deck came out well there wasn't like a lot of healing in just dudes decks so the only deck i struggled against was a deck that i should have struggled against and that was domain which is apparently they put out a bunch of lands and like ramp it up and then they bring out like big nasty eight eight creatures, but there's mm. also control. So there's like eight control spells in there to like exile stuff. So unless I can get things out fast enough, by the time it's like turn six, they're already or turn five, really. By the time turn five hits, they've already got like a big four four creature with vigilance. And uh the next turn after that, they're bringing out like eight eights and seven sevens. You, know, you just so don't like, have a board that can deal with that. And your spells are meant to kill the opponent, not be wasted on those creatures. Yeah. And those creatures are just too big. Like if you looked at the metagame, like there's websites that will show you, okay, like here is the, the deck that you're playing. And then here's all the other decks in the meta. And on a performance basis, it wins this percentage of the time. Right. Yeah. So burn wins like 53% of games. Usually like it's one of the top decks in the meta. And there are certain decks that performs really well against and certain ones it doesn't perform well against. And Domain, in all of the matches it has so far that are recorded, it's like a 33% win rate. Mm. So, I mean, if you're playing, and a guy I played against is somebody I know, um, we played together for quite a while, last few years or a couple of years. And so he knows my play style, I know his. And when he put out that deck, I'm like, I'm not winning this, man. I'm like, there's no way. I'm like, I know what you're playing. I know this is like the like out of all of the decks in the meta, this is the worst matchup for me. And it happened to be in the finals. Like I was crossing my fingers that the guy that he had played before, who was 2-0, would have beat him um, because he was playing mono black. And I could have absolutely demolished mono black of burn. No problem. In fact, I beat blue black. No problem. I beat red white. No problem. I beat uh, black white. No problem. And then his domain came out and it just dude it wrecked me it was so bad um but everybody was pissed off that was playing burn so it was fantastic that's the point of burn right that is the burn point of those burn. bridges 
there was some kid that he was there and he's like, you should feel bad about yourself. Like you should play a better deck, like something that takes more skill. And I'm like, why would I put more than a hundred dollars into magic? Like your deck is like 250 bucks. Right. And he's like, yeah, I said, mine cost me 20. <laughs> like I just paid for like out of the winnings I had for the tournament. I literally paid for my entire deck. Yeah. You know, like just out of those winnings alone. So it's, it was totally worth it to play burn. I think I'm going to play mono blue next because that's maybe another like $30 for me to play mono blue. And then I might go something different after that. But for sure, like mono blue is probably my next. Would they give away buy. his prize? Uh, store credit. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I got like 15 bucks store credit and then I got a promo that was worth like five bucks. Nice. And I got some Magic the Gathering arena promos. So what do you do? Just like channel all of your winnings back into like the next tournament play no so i mean i could have theoretically but no i, I got three packs out of it so it's just like give me some dominator united and i got um some decent cards nothing crazy i got a a mythic and like three rares out of the three packs like one of them had two rares in it so it was kind of cool nice um some decent uncommons which was nice and yeah i got to open up some packs so I mean, it doesn't hurt, right? I paid six bucks and I got a $5 card out of uh, the promo pack. And then I got three packs out of it for free at the end of the day, right? It's like I paid for the the one card and I paid a dollar essentially to play magic against people. So mm -hmm. it was fun. I enjoyed myself. One of the guys I beat actually used to play on Pro Tour. Nice. So it was pretty cool. Yeah. Um. So the other thing is, of course, I'm playing White Knight Chronicles. Um, I got a little further into the City of Greed. And uh, the next step is to have a meeting with like the king or governor of the city. Uh, so I have to go through with that and then move on to the next area. So I haven't played too much, just kind of enough to... I upgraded my weapons and my armor with the money I had did what I needed to do to get to the next area. And now that's kind of where I'm at is like getting to the next spot. Basically one thing I really do like about this game, cause I'd put it down for like a week, right. Um, with everything else going on. And I was like, God, what the hell do I have to do? I forgot. And so I got to a certain point and the characters stop and go, Oh, the person that we're looking for might be located here. And so they tell you that person like, Hey, you're going the wrong way. Like you should go over here. And so it's a reminder really quick, like, oh, OK, cool. Like, that's where I'm supposed to go. And so I remember, like, I don't have to guess where I'm at and go read a tutorial to, like, recall where I might be and what has to happen. The characters immediately are like, we got to go to this location and go meet this person at a bar. So when I hop on later tonight, after I finish prepping our D&D &D for tomorrow, it'll pretty much be the same thing, you know, like walk around and then they'll say, hey, you got to go over here. One of my favorite features in like an RPG is when you start up a game, like you hit continue and then it gives you like a recap of like the last few like big story things that you were doing to kind of get you back into it. There was like some Pokemon game that did that. And I was like, oh, sick. And then I'd seen it like in a couple other RPGs. And I just I think that's such a cool, cool system that should be like regulated across rpgs especially like it makes so much sense because like there's so many times where like i i mean you know me <laughs> the king yeah, of yeah. not finishing games like there's so many games that i would have likely gone back and played more or gotten further in if i had that feature because like 
sometimes with an RPG, like if you just let it go for too long, it's like, okay, well, I might as well just start over because like I forgot how I was building my characters. I forgot like how some of this stuff was going. Like, I don't even know where to go right now or what my next objective is. And unless there's a way in game to find out or like, you know, party members that you could talk to that would refresh your mind of that. I just think that recap system is like a great way to have your RPG reintroduce the player back to what they were doing. You know, whether it's been a day, a week or a month or even a year. Yeah. I mean, some RPGs have that journal setting, right? Like it kind of keeps track of like what's happened and it just, you know, oh, well, quest we log or something of, maybe. Yeah, we completed the mission of blah, 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 blah. And then you're like, oh, yeah, that's right. And then it'll say the next place we have to go is X. So like some of them have it. Some of them don't. This one obviously has a different style. There's no log that I've seen, but it does have that feature of like, hey, you need to go to this location. Mm-hmm. And so that works out pretty well. But some of the other like Final Fantasy 8, Final Fantasy 7, that type of stuff. I don't recall there ever being like a feature of that nature right like you just kind of i remember final fantasy 7 it was a couple things so and i've talked about the podcast before but like i had a situation where it bugged out on like the last place where sephiroth was like the final location uh where you battle is like final forms and i was too low of a level so i couldn't win and this was the first time i'd ever played it and i was trying to get out of a cave where he's located and i could there was a glitch it would not let me get out of the cave so i had to start that game over and I was so frustrated, like I started over, got to like midway through disc two and then set it aside for like literally two and a half years and then came back to it. But because it'd been so long, I completely forgot what the hell was going on. And so I'm like going city to city, talking to every single person I could think of to just try and get some like semblance of like, oh, yeah, you're supposed to go to this location right now. So, yeah, that'll happen. Yeah. Yep. All right. So. What are you playing or what did you pick up? So I picked up Exo Primal, which is hell is that you have. It's the one where the dinosaurs fall from the sky and you're fighting them in like anthem suits. Oh, sorry, Ryan. I had one more pickup. I forgot to mention. Yeah, you sure did. Uh, you didn't even write it down. Yeah. Uh, Witcher one, two and three on the Steam sale. So it cost me like six bucks or something. Nice. Yeah. So I got those on PC. That's all. Continue. Yeah, so I picked up Exo Primal. Uh, it was a day one release on Game Pass. It's a Capcom game where, I mean, you're in these like anthem looking, you know, Iron Man type suits and dinosaurs just rain from the sky in like a waterfall. Like imagine fighting a waterfall of velociraptors charging at you. I mean, that sounds like a pretty cool version of Doom and Turok. Yeah, uh, except for the fact that when I downloaded it, because I have Game Pass, and then I went to boot it up, it was like, hey, uh, you need Game Pass Ultimate, (laughs) because regular Game Pass doesn't come with the Xbox Live Gold, and you need Xbox Live Gold in order to play online games. So it's online only? Yeah, it's online only, and I think I knew that going in, but... I didn't realize, I guess, the Game Pass Ultimate didn't was the only one that had Xbox Live Gold. I thought the advantage of Game Pass Ultimate was that it had like the PC Game Pass and included like the cloud because I had Game Pass Ultimate for most of the time that I've had Game Pass. But I eventually I was like, I never use the cloud service 
and I'm not playing on PC, why am I spending the extra $5? Like, I might as well save $5 a month and just go with the basic Game Pass. Well, this is why. And I think it's really dumb that, like, it'll just let you download it and then try to upsell you once you get into there. Like, it doesn't give you any, like, hey, we know you can download this. Don't even think you can play it with the service you have subscription, though. So I mean, it's it's on purpose, obviously, like, yeah, yeah. You know, if they told you up front, oh, by the way, you need Xbox Ultimate, blah, blah, to play this. You're already hyped, right? You're like, they're trying to get you in that gotcha moment where, yeah, oh, I downloaded it. I watched some videos. I'm super hyped about it. It's downloaded. It's installed. I can't wait to play it. You log in. It's like, nope, you can't. You need to pay five dollars more. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't really play much online games anymore. Uh, and this is also going to prevent me from doing that so uh none of that is happening i'll just go ahead and undownload that and watch some reviews and see what other people have to say about it and you know hey that'll be it for me uh but i did play pikmin oh it's a miracle yeah i know I, i went out i got my little blue pikmin this morning and i was trying to you know solve some puzzles and do some stuff and it was a pretty good time but I had to go do other things, so I will definitely be uh, resuming my Pikmin play, hopefully, and continuing that along and finishing it, hopefully, soonish. Uh, I also have Darkness downstairs next to my PS3 plugged into the TV in the bedroom, so, you know, maybe I will be getting around to that again, or at all soon. I watched the trailer for it the other day, which Did I don't think like I ever actually saw the trailer, but it Did was like very... The you know it was very like sopranos (laughs) because it's like mob it's like Mm -hmm. tell my uncle paulie i'm coming for him or something like that yeah so yeah and just wait till you like come across the um the little darklings basically and the humor and everything that comes from that and then of course like some of the abilities and like the ways that you're able to kill other mobsters is fantastic yeah Yeah, you'll uh, enjoy it i think you will I'll have to get through these games, obviously one by the end of the summer and one by the end of the year. And with as hot as it is in Arizona, I don't think I will be going outside and doing much. So I might as well resume uh, gaming. You know, it's not like I'm on a gaming podcast or anything. So I I should probably do some more of that. I think the last two weeks I just like hardly played anything at all. So, you know, I I don't know. Sometimes I just get in moods where I'm like, I've been watching a lot of old uh SGDQs and AGDQs the last couple weeks and I I find sometimes I just find so much catharsis in watching gaming that I forget about gaming myself and it's just kind of easier to sit there and just kind of absorb and be in the moment watching really cool things than trying to do things myself or you know whatever I don't know like Pikmin is one of those games that I was never really into the idea of playing for most of my life because like I've always been the kind of gamer when there's like a timer involved in a thing like it stresses me out and I don't like it and it seems like unfun and like I remember being in high school and Pikmin coming out and just being like like why why do I want to play a game where it's like I literally could only play the game for so long like it, it takes me forever to get through games I don't know how many times I've said that like I spent 120 hours getting halfway through uh, Elden Ring. (laughs) Uh, You could have beat Pikmin like eight times over. Yeah. So, you know, I think I just have some reserve sometimes. And obviously, like, I don't like finishing games. 
So that's a thing for me too. I just have these gaming, I don't know, things built up in my mind where I just don't finish or play games even as much as I like them. I wonder if anybody else has anything like that. If you if you do, let me know that I'm not alone in this or if I'm just some kind of biological freak, you know, I guess let me know that too. <laughs> you know, for me with gaming, like if I don't finish a game, it's either I didn't like the game very much and I was like, I'm not playing this anymore or I got busy and forgot and then put the game aside and then started playing another one and completely forgot that I had the other one going like South Park is one I still need to get to because I haven't finished it yet. The stick mm -hmm. of truth. I'm so far into that game and I'm almost done, but I never did beat it. And I think a big part of that is because I was moving into the house I'm in now. So I was trying to play that at that time frame. It's like, oh, yeah, we're buying a house. We're looking for homes. We're doing all this other stuff. And it just got put to the wayside and I just didn't pick it up again. Yeah, so. we should talk sometime. I know that we already have a discussion topic for this week, but maybe in a future episode, we can do a discussion topic where we talk about revisiting games and playing a game multiple times because like stick of truth is one of those games where you pick your class at the beginning of the game like so many games and the developers are in the mindset of oh if you choose a class then likely the replay value will be high for you to replay this as another class at a later time i'm pretty and sure i chose the jew class in that game probably that sounds up your alley yeah it does sound up my alley i didn't choose a very difficult option though mm -hmm. it, it was not i think isn't the difficulty level by skin color? <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was a uh, very, no, very I, South Park. Yeah. I think like if you go black, it's like this is going to make your life super difficult. Not the game itself, just every other aspect of your life. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, and I think the Jew class is basically like bare bones. Like you don't get anything special, if mm. I recall. Yeah. It's like a popper, essentially. Um, you don't start with right. extra gold. You know, I think you do start with extra gold, actually. I don't remember, but I got to look. Give me a Jew gold, Kyle. <laughs> God, I love South Park. Um, okay, so discussion topic. Uh, I pitched this over to you. Local player, or not local player, local multiplayer gaming of friends and family. Uh, so, I don't know. Figure we can kind of talk about the good old days of playing on a, you know, 24-inch big giant TV and putting a blanket with tape on one half of the split screen. And so one person could play on top and one person could play on the bottom. I love that uh, picture on the internet of the two guys and one of them sitting on the floor, one of them sitting on the couch and they've got like cardboard taped to the screen in between them. <laughs> Once like got the cardboard on his head and he's playing on the lower screen. Yeah. That yeah. used to be me and my brother. We did that. Not cardboard See, specifically, but blankets. Yeah. You have a brother. So I'm sure that you're, local multiplayer experience is way different than mine just because I had to go over to people's houses to play multiplayer local things. But I mean, once you got home, it was game on until bedtime or, or whatever. Yeah. And he, I mean, we didn't just play first person shooters. Like we would play a lot of fighting games and we do co-op, like we'd play two player Donkey Kong and such. But the thing that really got us into fights when we were kids is, uh, like Mortal Kombat and Street Fighter and stuff like that, because one of us would be really good and the other one would normally be pretty bad. Mm -hmm. Or my brother had a very, and he still has this tendency of when playing games, cheesing moves. 
Mm. So I remember when we were little, like we weren't the best players, but he would do an uppercut with his characters yeah. all the time. That's all he would do is uppercuts. So no matter how close you got, it was uppercut. And then you go to try and attack him again, he'd uppercut you. And so like, if you got just close enough to try and lay in the hit, then he would punch you and then he would uppercut you. So it was like, it wasn't the type of experience in fighting games that you would want to play. It was like, it wasn't fun because we're not going at it, like trying moves and jumping around and all that. It was always, I'm going to just sit here and uppercut you. And the same thing would happen with uh, first person shooters. If we were playing Call of Duty or Halo or anything along those lines, he was always camping with a sniper rifle every time. So it just, I will say local play with my brother pissed me off more than, and that's probably why I got into RPGs, to be honest, because I got sick of playing multiplayer with them. Mm -hmm. Um, The only thing that we never really had issues with was racing games, because it's pretty fair play in a racing game, right? You either get the items or you don't and you race right but the other types of games there's like there's a way to make it unpleasant for the person you're playing with and and it wasn't a matter of like oh john was bad at video games it was just a matter of annoyance right like i wasn't bad at games it was just played a damn game like it should be played right like don't just sit there and camp because campers suck don't just sit there and uppercut because just uppercutting sucks, you know, or when we would play Tekken, he would play as Eddie Gordo, right? Because Eddie Gordo was like the most crazy moves, right? You can never truly see where things were going. So like his character selection was always bad as well. Now, when he was I one of my, those guys that played Voldo in, uh, <laughs> what's the soul caliber soul caliber. Yeah. Yeah. He actually did. That makes yeah. sense. No, he 100% did. So you know how I combated that? I'd play Maxi because that was just as bad. Yeah. And I actually got really good with Maxi um, at the end of the day. But he was also the type of guy to play a Raphael and do the stabby stab with his, uh, you know, whatever mm-hmm. the hell it's called. Um, so yeah, his rapier. He would do the rapier thing. So that was the big thing there. But other local multiplayer, we would actually do um, uh, Halo on LAN in the house and we just had two teams yeah. like back to back or we would have it somewhere else in the home. So typically uh, I would actually play with Justin on Justin's mm-hmm. side and then Jordan would play on his own TV because Jordan would cheat mm-hmm. all the time. Right. So Justin and I like we would, you know, look at each other's screens, but Justin and I were usually pretty good about like not doing it. Um, whereas Jordan would just like if he was in the same room as you, pfft, forget it man you could be like hiding in some corner and he would be like trying to find you and that's it like he wouldn't even care um so yeah i mean that was that was sibling and friend multiplayer uh growing up i mean my biggest memories for like local local multiplayer gaming was like renting smash bros every weekend having sleepovers and everybody just wrecking shop doing that all night I loved when I finally moved out of my house and I moved in with some friends. We played the uh, Mortal Kombat, I think it was like 2009 that came out. And that was just so good because everybody had, you know, their own little roster of characters that they got good with. And it's like, I could beat your one character with this character, but then you'd swap over to this character and then I'd have to switch to my backup character. And that was just really good for having that experience of always being around people that were available to play certain things together. Um, Yeah, local multiplayer is so great. And there was a huge resurgence, you know, a number of years ago, probably like 
five or six years ago, I want to say, where local multiplayer games like really started coming back in a strong way, because once the advent of Xbox Live came out, I mean, that changed the whole thing. You know, there was no real emphasis on local multiplayer at that point. It was all about, hey, how many people can we get on a server to play games? Halo 2 was like a huge game for just getting online. And I think that with local multiplayer games like uh, It Takes Two and a, a lot of the games by that studio too, you know, um, Way, Way Out. out. Yeah. yeah. Those types of experiences have really developed local multiplayer into not just, you know, standard co-op taking turns or fighting side by side, but a way where you're progressing the story and, and doing things together and asymmetrical co-op is way more of a thing than it ever used to be. I think that there's a really good future for those types of games, but we're in an ever evolving landscape where really those connections don't exist in that way. I just, I don't imagine that a lot of kids today get home from school and run over to their friend's house to play a game like we did when we were growing up. Everybody just goes home and they log into Fortnite on their phone or their Xbox or their PC and they could all play together because that's the game that all the kids are playing. So I, I don't know that it'll ever go away, but I do feel like even though it did try to have a big pushback, it's just fighting against a stream where it's just not really going to happen as much. And especially with, you know, physical media kind of going away and everything becoming digital and there being so many free to play games, there's just really not that need to have to go over to somebody's house and play something because they have it. And you don't, or they have a system that you don't have. Uh, a lot of these things are so, across platform and accessible to people that it's really driving people to just do their own thing at home and connect to people. And I feel like I've really missed out on a lot of that boat. I mean, gosh, two and a half years ago, you and me, we were playing like a decent amount of apex together. And then I got my new job and I just dropped off of apex. You kept playing for like a decent chunk of time afterwards with other I still people. pick it up every now and then. Yeah, yeah, but I just completely dropped off. I just, I've got no interest in social media. I've got almost no interest in online gaming. I just, I don't know. I'm an I'm old man yelling at clouds now. I just see all these cool things that happen in the world. And I'm just like, ah, I don't know. I, I got YouTube. What, what do I need with all this? <laughs> yeah, it's kind of how I've been with Netflix and other stuff, you know, and then One Piece, obviously, like I was, I binged. Now I'm on episode like 1062. I think you're is current, that 1063? right? Yeah, I'm I'm week to week now on it. In fact, I'm ahead because I read the bonga. So like I'm already past Wano. Um, I need to get I'm reading just... again. I downloaded so much of that. I downloaded like 30 chapters before I went to California a couple weeks ago and just you... never read any of it. Are you reading it in the color version or black and white? Oh, I've only ever read the black and white. So I sent you a link a while back, I think, for color. Like, there's a guy that actually colorizes all of the manga art. That's so crazy. Oh, dude, it's so good. Like, it, reading it in black and white versus color, it's night and day, man. Like, I, that's why I stopped reading it, actually. 
because I was reading all the way in color and then it was like maybe 10 chapters from like the color to the end of Wano. So I was like, all right, I'll just go ahead and read the rest right in black and white. And then when I got to like the next, you know, arc, I was like, eh, I'm not going to read this anymore. Like as good as it is, like if they came out, you know, if he came out like next week, I was like, oh, I'm doing the last like 40 chapters of one piece. I'd be like, okay, cool. I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and watch, but or read, but I know they're only like 65, 70% way the way through Mm -hmm. on the story last I checked. So like we got at least another two years of manga that we're going to be getting here. Yeah. I Um, just, there's such a weird connect there where the manga is the original, but there's so much that's not in the manga. Like, I used to go online. I don't even know if the guy still does it anymore, but I found a guy on YouTube who would post up voice clips. There's of, still guys that do it. Like different characters in all the different uh, dub languages, just so that I could hear what the characters sounded like so that I wasn't making them all sound the same way in my head. But like the sniper king song like i uh, i had to look that up on youtube because i heard people talk about it and i was like what i don't have any context for this or like brooks brooks whole character is that he's a musician but you just don't really get any of that like really coming through when you're just reading the manga and there's so much beautiful color in that world that you don't see despite how amazing the manga looks and yeah I don't feel like it's necessarily something that you're losing out on because you are getting the original intent from the creator when you are reading the manga. I mean, that's the purest form, but even that is lacking in so many things that make it more rich and vibrant. And I I wonder if sometimes, you know, going back and watching the anime would be something to do. But I just I'm never going to really go back and do that. I mean, I watched as much of that as I did and dropped off of it. And I barely got back into the manga. And now I'm still hundreds of chapters behind there. When I was the first um, person I knew who was into it. (laughs) When did you uh, drop off in the anime? Was it Whole Cake Island? No, I dropped off in the anime right after uh, they dropped out of Skypia and they fall into that marine base that doesn't exist in the manga. Yeah, which is actually that's a pretty good like filler arc. I actually like that one. Um, man, you dropped out like right when it starts getting like really good. Yeah, that's me. You know, like- I, I give up on things like <laughs> bringing it back to Final Fantasy seven. You couldn't get out of the Sephiroth cave. I don't even think I ever put disc three in my PS one. I think I was just <laughs> like, well, I don't want to go raise a golden chocobo to get Knights of the round and cast that 19 times to beat Sephiroth. So I'm done with this game. Oh, I didn't need to. I had like Omni slash and everything. I'll do I got Omni slash disc one in that game. Uh, my second playthrough, I was like, screw this. Like, I'm just going to get Omni slash now. So things are easier. Yeah. Um, so back to one piece really quick though. So the mod or the, the dub is actually almost caught up to the sub. So what I'm going to do is when Wano is finished and I finish watching in Japanese, I'm going to actually rewatch it in English. So, cause I, I think English stopped at like episode nine fourteen when I started, like when I started watching in Japanese and I want to say it's at like nine eighty already. 
So by the time Wano finishes, it should be like not too far off. And then I can continue watching in Japanese, but I really want to watch Wano in English. John, we're a month and a half away from the Netflix release of One Piece. Did you know that? It actually looks... I'm cautiously optimistic. Dude, me too. I think that the fact that Oda was involved and the fact that it's got all this Netflix money behind it. I mean, people think that Netflix is trying to position this as possibly their Game of Thrones type title because there's just so much that they can mine there if they can get people into it. And there's such an untapped audience. Like if they can do it well enough to where people won't just violently backlash against it online like they tend to do, I I think it stands a decent chance of being okay. And I'm all for that. Yeah, I'm also looking forward to uh, Avatar The Last Airbender live action, too. I've only seen images. I don't think original creators dropped out of this one, too. So I I have a feeling it's not going to be good. (laughs) Oh, well, we'll find out. I mean, did they drop out of it because they didn't like the direction? or They dropped out because they just dropped out. I I think it was uh, disagreements with production. Oh, gotcha. Well, we'll find out. It can't be any worse than the live action movie. All right. Let's dive into uh, some articles here. So the first one is the Federal Appeals Court rules that Microsoft can close its Activision merger. And that's uh, Brian Fung at CNN. Um, So, yeah, basically the FTC lost its fight. Uh, Last I checked, they went into the appeals court. And I guess that's what we're looking at here. And uh, the FTC apparently uh, lost that as well uh, when I saw a recent thing. But then I saw another comment. by I think it's Tom Warren at Verge. Uh, I've been watch- looking at all the updates he has, and he said it's actually technically not over. There's a period of time where like Microsoft can close, but the FTC can still go back and do something about it and continue v- the fight, basically, um, which is a whole other thing. Um, well, at so- that point, they're trying to like unwind an already closed deal, which is, I yeah. think, a much bigger burden of proof on them to try to overcome and the fact that they've already failed to do it in court and then failed to get an appeal i just don't see much hope of them being able to do that and i do say hope because i'm still kind of torn here i mean i am i am so unbelievably happy that this is going to be over with so we can spend the next nine months instead talking about switch Two rumors because you know how much i love talking about that what like two yeah. years ago now hey ps5 pro rumors too don't worry we'll oh have my others. god yeah. these these news articles that we have to talk about month after month for like a year i'm just so done retreading the same stuff over and i you know i share in choosing the articles but it's just the thing to talk about Hey, I mean, while we're on a uh, you know Switch Two rumor, did you see also that uh, apparently there's leaks that Microsoft is working on a new Call of Duty that will be on the new Switch, which confirms that the Switch will be released in spring of 2024. I don't know if you saw that, but that's what I saw. All right, I mean, back to our Microsoft merger. <laughs> if if Nintendo can send uh, Activision uh, Switch Two prototype to work on it, so that they can get a game developed. And Sony is not willing to do so. I guess that's Sony's own fault at that point. And they're the ones who are shorting their customers. Oh, remember, Nintendo is not competition. Yeah, right. Yeah. I just think that I mean, realistically, a Switch 2 is going to be about as powerful as a PS4. Yeah, 
I mean, so that'll like, still be incredible. Like we've never yeah. had a, a PS4 in your hand unless you count like the Steam Deck, but I don't know if that's really PS4 level. Uh, well, I could play PS4 games, Nintendo 64, Nintendo Switch, and everything else under the sun. So I would say it is. Yeah. Um, but I mean, that's kind of why they're like, oh, Microsoft and Sony or Nintendo doesn't compete with them, and it's kind of true, right? Like despite everything that's going on with this merger, Nintendo is kind of on its own little island. And yeah, they their own out. little island. That's a giant Pac-Man eating all the other competition. You know, technically speaking, Sony actually generates more revenue in gaming than Nintendo does. Yeah. I mean, I, I consider- just still like the fact that Nintendo only makes games and can stand alone against Sony, who makes just about every appliance you could want, and Microsoft that makes the operating system for, you know, 70% of the computers in the planet on everything else that they do as well. Like they they do so much already. Um, But yeah, I guess, you know, kind of looking at this, though, and and the thought was crossing my mind earlier. So what is Sony going to do? Right. What is Sony's response? And I. You could probably look up an old episode. I don't know when I would have said it, but I do recall saying it's open season now for acquisitions, yeah. right? Like if Microsoft is able to close on this, then Sony is very easily going to be able to close on something like Square Enix. But then I think that's a very viable option for them. If they bought Square Enix, you're taking away, you know, tons of different types of rpgs that could be going to xbox you're not though like i've seen this exact argument made by other people online and the thing that they have brought up in this is that square already doesn't release anything for xbox and they're already partnering with sony to develop these games there's really no financial reason for sony to go out and spend that money they're already partners like it would it well, wouldn't get them anything else that they don't already have. It would just cost them money. It's more so if you think about it from this lens, they're going to make money off of Nintendo, right? Because and I can see Sony continuing to release Square Enix games on Nintendo consoles and then getting they the money already released all that. the old games on Nintendo. They don't they have did. any more old games to re-release there and they're they not going to make Final Fantasy 16 work on the switch they have remakes that they can do plenty of remakes and there's yeah, plenty but those of those remakes aren't coming out there there's they're plenty, only coming out on playstation there's plenty of games the square has made over the years and ones that were never brought over west that they no, but totally like, redo they already didn't release the final fantasy 7 remake on there when they weren't partners like if they purchased them why would they all of a sudden have incentive to release those games on Nintendo? It wouldn't make well, any re- sense. The remake was never going to work on the Switch anyways. The remake was on PS4 Pro and it's on PS5. So that's not that's not going on Switch regardless. But yeah, I'm so if re- they're releasing another Switch that's only going to be as powerful as the PS4, that's going to be a whole generation ahead. Like it, I just don't see it. I don't see a reason that they would buy a company so that they could not make them exclusive in a situation where they're already pretty much exclusive. Part of it would be a defensive move against Microsoft though. Cause what would stop Microsoft from jumping in and buying square? They can't. Why can't they? They technically can't. Square would never sell to them. 
If the money's right, the they're money's already right. not releasing their games on their platform anyways. Yeah, because they're getting money from Sony. But say the money is right. Say Microsoft says we'll throw double your valuation you that, your way. You don't think that Microsoft's already gone to Square Enix and said, hey, we'll give you a bunch of money like just to release your game on our, our platform at all. And they have. I mean, like just the spent only- 70. They just spent 70 billion on Call of Duty and all those other IPs. Yeah, I think. I mean, if you I, I mean. If you take away Square Enix, if you're Microsoft and you somehow are able to throw, say it's triple valuation and you completely rip RPGs away from PlayStation, what does PlayStation have at that point? They have their own IPs, but Final Fantasy is like, it's a staple since the PS1. Yeah, but the thing is like those don't do the kind of numbers that you would want anyways. I mean, it's not a call of duty. It's not. Like people are like breaking down the door for old school RPGs or even new RPGs. Like that's much more of a niche audience and genre that I just don't think the money's there. Like if I was Sony and I really wanted to do a blow, I would go after. I mean, yeah, Rockstar would be the one. But I mean, Rockstar makes so much money. They don't have any incentive to sell out to anybody anyways. But I would go for the other RPGs. Like I would go for um, the Trails series. Persona. Exceed. Yeah. Because Persona's already, they've got deals with Microsoft. And that's probably the best leg that Microsoft has to stand on in that market. So if you could take that away from them, you know, that would be something that could deal a blow. I mean, plus, you know, they make so many other good games too, besides just Persona. Yeah, I mean, if you're able to take like even like, dude, I mean, Sega's got a great relationship and Sega wouldn't sell. But if you could get like a Sega or like a Bandai Namco or something like that, yeah. if you're Sony, that's a huge response and a huge blow to the rest of the market. But it might be harder to close if you're Sony, right? Because apparently Sony is because they're the market leader and they have such a foot like a stake in the overall like market. Uh, you know, Microsoft is able to close. But I think if this technically leveled the playing field, right, then again, it's it's open, you know, it, it's open, open season for everything. So we'll see what happens here. I imagine Sony will have some sort of response here in the next year or so. Yeah, I mean, we'll definitely see see what comes of this. But yeah, well, you know, looking at all this, so the FTC trial actually had nearly a million documents and that were you know displayed throughout the entire process and they could not catch microsoft saying one time that they would make call of duty exclusive and this is uh rebecca valentine at ign that uh wrote this one and i mean yeah it's interesting like you provide that many documents and you can't catch one time microsoft saying they're going to make it exclusive but i mean we've talked about it right there's no reason for them to make call of duty exclusive everything else though very much will probably be exclusive like i mean prototype is one game right off the bat that if that was to get a yeah prototype it's basically like an answer to spider-man there's people that are actually there's trust me there's a group of people a large (laughs) group that would love to see prototype re-released is there really yes there is actually um so yeah prototype is an option or that could be an answer to spider-man uh, of course, you have all the Guitar Hero games, everything that was tied to that. Uh, Tony Hawk games, there's a new game coming out that could be exclusive. 
I don't think uh, Prototype is a competitor to Spider-Man. Uh, Prototype was actually put out as like a competitor to Infamous, which was kind of tied in due to Spider-Man. It's a very sandbox type game. Lots yeah, of but gore. Spider-Man is like Spider-Man. He's a Marvel giant, recognizable, so, worldwide icon IP. Prototype speaking, was like a three release game last seen in 2009. Speaking of and Spider-Man, that though, it came out on every platform. It did back then, but now it can come out on only Xbox. So, and also speaking of Spider-Man, there are Spider-Man games, and we talked about this before, that Activision actually owns because they, you know, they developed them and released them and such. So I can very that's rights well, contracts. Like the, the, the rights to re-release those games aren't owned if you don't have an existing contract that's currently open. Well, and those are going to be like probably super expensive and... I mean, to try to out Spider-Man, Naughty Dog. I mean, it's existing games, so it's not like you're out Spider-Manning Naughty Dog. You're just releasing existing games. So I don't know all the specs behind that. Right? I don't know if they're allowed to. Um, oh, yeah. Insomniac. Sorry. Why did I um, say Naughty Dog? <laughs> I don't know. And you got me confused, too. So, I mean, they're sorry. both Sony based companies for the most part, but um I mean, look, it's a Spider-Man game, right? If there's no other Spider-Man, all the Spider-Man games, if you look at them now that are on like 360 and Xbox One and all those other consoles, they're all actually pretty high priced because those are the most recent Spider-Man games that you can get your hands on for those systems. So if they were to re-release, you know, an older Spider-Man in, say, HD upgrade, that actually might do okay on the Xbox. I, I think so. I uh, that doesn't seem like I mean, I think the bigger piece of the puzzle here isn't going back to old IP like that. It's going to be looking forward to new IP because, well, they're contractually yeah. obligated at this point to release Call of Duty for 10 years on other platforms. But I mean, whatever is going to be the next big piece of the puzzle for blizzard i mean people well, are starcraft so, yeah people are so over overwatch and what they've done to that that if microsoft could give you know them a shot in the arm to maybe try to go back and do what they failed to do twice and make overwatch 2 an actual successor and make an overwatch 3 that would be exclusive to you know, Xbox and PC that could have a real shot at some, you know, real benefit to them. I mean, I'm looking forward to I, I've really wanted to play Diablo, but I hate Activision and Blizzard and everything they stand for and Bobby Kotick. So I, I was never going to buy that. But if it's on Game Pass, I mean, I'm already paying for that, so I might as well check out Diablo 4 finally if they put that on there. So it'll be an interesting next couple of months to see how quickly things start to release on there. But realistically, it's going to be like you said, the next StarCraft or and that's not even going to really be 
uh, it's a console thing anyways. No. Well, I mean, it could be technically, but it's in development. Yeah, but it, nobody's going to want to play it there. People, that's a mouse and keyboard game. You need oh. you need uh, actions per minute that you can't do on a controller it's, to make it's that gonna be game on, worth doing. It's going to be on Game Pass regardless. So, yeah. you know, <laughs> you're either going to play it with a mouse and keyboard on your TV or you're playing it with a mouse and keyboard on your monitor one way or yeah, another. Yeah, that's true. If you could just Bluetooth up a mouse and keyboard to your TV and do cloud gaming, then yeah, hell yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. So sky's the limit on that. Um, this next okay. one sucks. <laughs> yeah. So a study finds around 87% of games are unplayable without resorting to piracy, uh, scavenger hunts or traveling into an archive. And this is uh, Harvey Randall, a PC gamer. I actually saw this one and it, it kind of calls them extinct or endangered. And I'm like, mm, you know, this goes into your video game preservation, Ryan. I mean, you like to preserve games on a on a week to week basis. I think, in fact, <laughs> you did it this week as well. Um, but it's crazy that there's that many games and it, it goes back to a little bit to our discussion on like Square. Right. And you're saying, oh, well, they've re-released whatever. Right. That's not entirely true. There's tons of games that were in like in Japan or in PAL regions only, but didn't make it to the West. Um, or really to make it to North America. And those are all things that could be re-released uh, in HD upgrades or remakes or remasters, whatever it needs to be. So, I mean, when you really consider it, and this is kind of what Rue does too, right? Um, if there's games that are no longer playable or they were unfinished, whatever it may be, people like Rue are coming in and like re-releasing these old titles. And we also saw some limited run games recently. Tomba, Jurassic Park, all of these older games, like they're making it more accessible to play some of these games. Did you read the article? <laughs> this one? Yeah, yeah, I read it the other day. I read a different one. I didn't read this specific article. Yeah, so I mean, the video game, uh, what are they? The VGHF, the Video Game History Foundation. Yeah. They did a study themselves where they went mm -hmm. back and they looked at how many games are completely inaccessible to the public without having to, like it says here, either travel to an archive pirate or pay expensive, you know, re sales on the secondhand market for these titles. And the fact that they even included games that are re-released, but changed so much that they don't reflect the original enough that, those are considered not the same game anymore. So with a lot of those updates, you're losing a lot of what made those games those games by polishing away the edges and getting rid of the mistakes. And anytime that you try to reintroduce a game, you can never have just a straight one-to-one -one port that's just going to be, you know, incredible and not have any problems and not generate its own problems. But the the handling of these games and the way that we think oh yeah you know nintendo they do a pretty good job they've got their you know nintendo online that you can subscribe to and you get a handful of games for a handful of consoles i mean that's a drop in the bucket compared to the actual numbers of games that are just completely inaccessible and i guess to what you were saying you know especially games that were only released in certain markets when you look at the amount of games that are out there that people just can't even play and how that's treated versus 
other media being treated like this was the first time I ever heard that you could go online and rent books and movies from the library. <laughs> the last time I went to a library, my teacher took the whole class there. So I, I found that to be pretty interesting. But apparently the ESA in all of their great wisdom has decided, no, the, the games industry is doing a fine enough job of this on their own and deny those equal protections to games that are presented to other media. And it's just another example of video games not being treated the same as other media and being singled out in one way or the other. You know, whether it's like we talked about last week, again, being blamed for violence or in this case, you know, not allowing people to access them because it's not in the game market's best interest. And I think preservation and history is not in the best interest of the creators. It's in the best interest of the public. And that's for a reason. I mean, these online archives exist in a sense. I mean, not to the way where they could just flip a switch to where you could just go and access them. But they should exist in a way where people can have access and not have to, you know, make a whole trip to go out to a, an archive to play an on-site copy of Little Samson because you can't afford to buy one and play it yourself. Like it's completely unreasonable for, you know, corporations to just continue to hoard IP and just continue to hoard all this stuff and just say nobody else gets access to it because we need it for tax breaks and write-offs and and all these other reasons and just whatever we're just going to sit on it go ahead and buy it on the secondhand market if you really want it like yeah it's still I unfair mean, yeah and i totally get it i mean and the thing is like you said without resorting to piracy scavenger hunts traveling to an archive right technically they're accessible right when you think about the grand scheme of things um yeah 87 percent they're not playable without resorting that stuff but they are accessible you know you just have to know the right people if you're if you don't have that type of That's knowledge not accessible or, it's totally accessible. You can go online right now. Like you said, go to an archive. You can go to. No, you um, well, you could go online and pirate games. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm but saying. But that's so not legal. I, I know there's a difference between accessibility and not being able to access whatsoever. Be like Disney lock and key in the vault. It's not seen well, like. Okay, we're talking like not just the ability to pirate because everything's available through piracy. Yeah, I know. I'm just saying that like accessibility, it's still, if you really wanted to play this 80% of games and dive into this mass archive, you could still technically do it, but to the point of the article without resorting to piracy, et cetera. Right. Yeah. So what I'm saying is that if there's anybody listening out there and you feel like, oh, I really want to play little Samson to your point. Right. I really want to play little Samson, but it's $2,000 or for a copy. Go pirate the shit. Yeah. Raise I those mean, flags, baby. Hit the high seas. Like at that point, like who gives a shit? You know, and they're like, not going to come after you. I mean, no, just make sure you're protected from your ISP. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, well, really, it's the people that are actually uploading it that are like, unless you were selling it or you were somehow profiting off of a downloaded version of Little Samson, like, I think you're okay for the most part. Okay, well, this one speaking, speaking of like prices, right? Uh, Gaming fans are baffled by Nintendo pricing. Uh, This is G Grecon, I guess. Uh, Tom Chapman of G Grecon. GG um, Recon. 
GG Recon. Okay. Well, the Recon should be capitalized. Um, <laughs> so I mean, it's, I don't know if that's your fault or, or whatever, but I've no, never I, I just took it out of the, uh, the web address there. Yeah. I've never been to GG Recon, so I wouldn't know. It was very confusing. I was like, who's the name of the guy? Maybe it's like his own blog or something. All right. So basically, uh, this, I was reading this a little bit earlier today, um, before we hopped on. So yeah, this one just kind of goes into like, I, I love the meme, like just kind of started yeah. off, right? Purchase a Nintendo game for 50 bucks or wait 10 years and purchase a Nintendo game for $60. It's Mario doing the, the, the Drake meme with the hand by yeah. the side and then the look in with the thumb finger out. Yeah. So, I mean, when you look at Nintendo games, it it's correct, right? Like they for for whatever reason there are games that released in what 2017 i think it noted uh zelda odyssey all of that they do get discounts under 40 dollars pretty consistently uh throughout the course of the year they just had buy one get one free deals as a matter of fact through gamestop for new titles um but the price points are always 60 bucks 50 bucks are always uh you know when they were released price point and it's not until nintendo typically switches uh consoles that those games go down in price. And so it's super disappointing. I mean, as, as a fan of video games and, you know, just to see that Nintendo kind of takes this first party approach and, and it's a cultural thing too. Those broken out as well. Like the Japanese do not see discounts in that's the same manner as other countries, which I don't know if that's entirely true, but Sony games go on discount. Like, exactly. Super quick. Like unless exactly. Nintendo is just truly their own culture. Like, I think Nintendo's I don't buy that. culture. Yeah, exactly. That's why I was like, that doesn't seem right. Because like, why would that be a Japanese cultural aspect when Sony is completely Japanese owned? Right. I agree with the sentiment, though, that the hard work that you put into a thing should stand forever. Like the hard work and effort you put in doesn't diminish because the quality of the game doesn't diminish. And I mean, that's so true of these Nintendo titles. You can look at a Nintendo title that's decades old and see what makes it great whereas you can look at you know so many games from the mid 2000s that are just all different shades of brown and you're like wow that didn't age well yeah i mean nintendo games they hold up right um they're always fun i mean we still play games on super nintendo 64 gamecube and wii and stuff because we find them to be fun and they've held up over the years and we've played a wii game on the show yeah, we played um, Dewey's Adventure before. Oh, the we Kiwi played some, game. And a Kiwi game. We played some Wii games. And I think, did we play Zack and, Zach and Wiki? I don't think we did. Um, we've played a few. We should probably play more, actually, because there's plenty of good ones out there. Uh, and I think we played a couple Wii U. I don't think we've done much on Wii U. Rodea Sky Soldier, I think, was one mm-hmm. we did as well. Um, so, yeah, I mean, just kind of... They hold up, right? It makes sense that they're pricing. And Nintendo knows what they got. And they know their fan base. I've said this tons of times. I say this on forums as well. Like, Nintendo doesn't give a shit about its consumers. Nintendo knows that if it put it, Nintendo could fart in a jar and put Nintendo on it, and Nintendo fans would go crazy and buy it. I mean, look I mean, at Mario just, Kart 8. How long have they been selling that game for? And yeah. it's always like near the top sales charts. <laughs> it was released on the Wii U. Mm hmm. And the Wii U version is probably like 20, 30 bucks still in the secondary market. Nintendo fans will buy anything. And Nintendo knows that. And Nintendo knows it doesn't need to drop its price point because Nintendo fans are still going to buy it at the full price and they can get away with it. Right. Sony, 
Not really. And they've been discounting their games for years, but their games sell like gangbusters out the door right off the bat. And then they drop the price over time and they sell more units. But if you were to buy those games digitally, those games are actually full price digitally. But so are Nintendo and so is Microsoft for the most part, if they have anything that they're selling other than Game Pass. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's just the reality of it. That's Nintendo pricing. And I don't I don't get why fans are all of a sudden baffled. Like this has been a thing for years. Yeah, this well, I mean, new. that's the thing. There's there's new Nintendo fans all the time. And with Tears of the Kingdom being the first $70 game, but, you know, Metroid Prime remake coming out for less than full price. I think that was like a $40 game. I mean, or technically, that a $60 I think if, you, game? if you look back at the Super Nintendo, I think there were some $70 games released back then. I know. Well, this yeah, I mean, that was first. back before we kind of had the across yeah. the board standard pricing. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think Metroid is 40 when it came out. Yeah, it so, is. I don't know if so there's anything just, else. It just that... seems like a while. I, I get the idea that, you know, that was a complete ground up remake with amazing graphics. And then Tears of the Kingdom looks exactly the same as Breath of the Wild almost. And it just mm-hmm. seems like it's kind of all over the place. But I mean, we haven't always been in a market where games were all the same price. And I mean, with indies being what they are, there is a pretty wide range of titles and prices. So moving forward into the next gen switch, like will they all be $70 first party releases? I mean, with Nintendo's attitude and ability to make it happen, I I don't see why it wouldn't. Yeah. Well, continuing our discussion on Nintendo games, uh, our inflation deflation this week is Mario golf advanced tours. So it was developed by Camelot software planning published by Nintendo, directed by Yoshihiro uh, Taguchi. It was released in June of 2004, uh, and it is a sports role-playing game. Yes, role-playing. Reception is about an 8 out of 10 uh, on the get-go. So in Mario Advance, or Mario Golf Advance Tour, you can experience all of the fun of golf with your favorite characters from the Mushroom Kingdom, and you can hit fantastic courses in a variety of locales while learning tips and tricks and interacting with locals at the clubhouse. So the one thing that they don't mention in that synopsis is that you're actually playing as like a human character. that's not from the Mushroom Kingdom, but there are elements throughout the game that are Mushroom Kingdom focused. Like I found the one up that allowed me to increase my stats while I was playing the game. So, Ryan, if you want to dive into a little deeper here on the gameplay and and what you experienced. Yeah. So this is uh, a game that I never experienced. It's one of those games um, on the GBA. And this happens a lot with Camelot games. Like if you've ever played the Golden Sun games, you'll remember these games that are like, wow, that's a Game Boy Advance game. Like, holy cow, does this look good for you know what it was put out on like the same thing that pokemon was on this was on and it just looks incredible uh it's a a rpg where you are starting off as uh, a trainee golfer and you are uh taken with your fellows to the uh oh gosh what was it the uh marion golf resort marion golf course or uh club resort or whatever i forget what they called it but yeah and you go through the story of learning how to be a pro golfer and competing against all these people that are not nintendo characters it seems like and then eventually you'll be able to play with other nintendo characters 
your ultimate challenge to be the best golfer, just like Mario was. So uh, <laughs> you and your friends go in and you're going to be doubles partners or you're going to take the singles tour by storm and just learn how to golf. And I mean, for the most part, you know, we can kind of say it's a golf game. You know, you yeah. you get that experience of golf top down you know, controlling the swing of your club, angling against the rolling of the hills and the angle of the wind to try to get the best shots and get the lowest score. Um, it's great. It, and I had never played this, but I have really played and loved Golf Story, which was an indie game that was released, I don't know, maybe like five or six years ago. I played that on the Switch and it has all the DNA from this, but with a lot more humor involved with it, I would say. Um, and kind of a, a, you know, different tone because it's not kind of sterilized Nintendo kind of thing. But yeah, it, there's something about the marriage of sports and growing and RPGs that works really well because in a lot of sports games, I mean, you play it over and over for the sports, but that reward of growing and bettering your character simulates that journey of growing as a player and getting better at the sport as well. And it also gives you more reward for investing time in and getting through, which, you know, traditionally would be a place where you would get unlockables or, or things like that. But that combination of things goes so well together. And I hate that nowadays that experience is so tarnished by cards and stupid gambling mechanics and things like that in order to get better. Like if you want to get better in FIFA, you've got to gamble and hope that you get a better player card that will just have a better version of that character that you like. And you can't just get better yourself and then through play, make that character better. Like that's the whole soul of this game and why it's so fun. And obviously, well, remembered. I'd heard about this and the um, I think the tennis games on GBA are similar to this in that same way. And it just seems like such a fun and great marriage of those two things that this is a game that if I had started playing it at a different point, I would probably have been really invested and played a lot more of this. Uh, it's definitely a game I'm going to leave on my Game Boy and probably revisit in the future, I would say. Um, yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, um, I did too. I, I played a full 18 holes of Yoshi as well. Um, and then I went into story mode and played a little bit of that. There is some gambling. There is actually slot machines that you play um, as you are trying to... Uh, hit different holes um, or, you know, put into different holes and such. So there's that. And then there was like some training stuff on like trying to get it onto the green perfectly, um, you know, in a circle, little things of that nature. There was practice mode, tons of stuff, areas that you couldn't go to yet because you got to unlock it and whatnot. So it was really interesting from that piece. And then the overall like golf feeling in playing a full blown like 18 holes um, with with Yoshi was very fluid for me like it was just like playing any other really good golf game and uh as far as cartoony golf games i don't play tiger woods and all that but i'll put up some hot shots and play some mario golf on the gamecube and such and this felt really good so 
I, I was happy with it. Uh, graphically on the GBA, you're right. It was fantastic. Um, in fact, I'm kind of considering putting it on the Retron 5 so I can put it on TV. Yeah, I uh, was, was imagining that's how you would be playing it. I actually played on an original GBA. I didn't even play on an SP because I can't find my charger. Mm. So I played with the very dim screen that's not <laughs> as good as a bright screen. Uh, so that was interesting. Uh, but getting in the brass tax on this game, so a complete in-box copy will run you 55 bucks. It peaked at 61.38 in June of 2021, like everything else uh, that's trending down. A loose copy is going to run you 27.32 for, and this is the regular version, not the not for resale version, because that's what I have, and that's like 35 bucks. Mm. But this regular version peaked at 34.35 in September 2021, like everything else. It is trending up right now, though, as a loose copy. Uh, if I had to give this like a general rating, I would actually put this at an eight out of 10 as far as golf games are concerned. Um, in as far as a loose copy though, uh, if I was going to pick it up, I mean, I would think 25 bucks is fair. I think 27, you know, I, I'd actually go just right personally, you know, I 25 bucks would be a good deal, but a couple bucks extra. That's, I think that's still fair for what you're getting here. See, it's a very well-produced game. Golf Story is $15 on Nintendo Switch. And while that's nine hole golf instead of 18 hole, uh, I just think that the innovations and the uh, ability to play a very similar type game, but with a lot more modernization and and some other aspects that I think are really great. Uh, I would say that I would think that this is inflated because that's just such a great alternative for people and more accessible i think that's fair yeah although that is like a digital game so it's not like something that you'll own forever and will appreciate so i think you can get it physically oh can you yeah pretty sure you can i think it had a limited run release okay um and i think it had a re-release as well for like super rare games if i recall but yeah, you, I think you can get that physical. Oh, yeah, that's 91. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. So OK, that, then so <laughs> I would definitely on, go with this. Yeah. So from a physical standpoint, if you're collecting physical, this is just right. Yeah, if you're going physical, if you're going digital, you could probably get this. I mean, you played in video game preservation accessibility mode. So, I mean, it's <laughs> free 95, free 95, right? Or free, free 50 on sale. So I think this is just right based on. You know, the one you referenced, yeah, digitally, great, download it, but you don't hold it forever. This one you do. And if you want a physical of the other one, 90 bucks. So I think this is, I think this is fine. Yeah. Yeah. I'll go with you just right. Look at that. I changed your mind right on the spot. Good yeah, stuff. You did. Well, actually, uh, limited run being <laughs> $91 now changed my mind. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, I don't know what we're playing next week, but we'll figure it out as always. Maybe GBA again, maybe NES, maybe Atari. Who knows? We'll see what happens. Maybe we'll have a special guest on. We can figure that out too. Uh, anything could happen. Anything can happen on the Game of Flavors podcast. But with all of that said, this has been episode 244 of Game of Flavors podcast. My name's John. I'm Ryan. And thanks for listening. <laughs>